good morning, everyone. My name is Scott, um, as Sean just said. Uh, I'm going to be, I'm on the staff and I'm on the leadership team here at the church. It's brilliant to be here this morning. Um, we're in about week seven, something like that, of our current preaching series. So if you're joining us here for the first time this morning, you're into week seven. We've been looking at the book of Daniel and looking at what that teaches us about being exiles in the town of Reading or maybe whatever town it is you live in in the UK. Uh, we're exiles because we're believers of Jesus and we're to live not of the world but in the world. And so that's what makes us exiles. So we've been trying to learn from the book of Daniel how we live in this world. And as I read through the passage, we're going to be looking at Daniel 6 today. It's the lion's den stuff and you know, I'm guessing many of us know the lion's den story. But as I read through this, I was reminded greatly of the story of Jesus. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to read through this story, give some comments, but also comment on how it aligns with Jesus' story. Because in the middle of this sermon series, I want us to lift our eyes again and see Jesus and see what he's about. And so I want to pray, and then we're going to get going in this. So Father, I want to thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy, for your love. I want to thank you so much that we are gathered in this room, and we do have a problem with space, because you are gathering your people together. And as we've talked through this Daniel series, Lord, I thank you that you are equipping us to live in this world in which we live, week by week, giving us new nuggets, new things that we can take on board. But this morning, Lord, I pray, would we see your son, Jesus? Would we know him? Will we again rejoice in him for your glory? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to get going. We're in, uh, I'm reading from the ESV version. We're in Daniel 6, verses 1 to 3 to start with. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Here we're introduced to the main cast of this story, of the lion's den story. We've got Darius. I don't know if you were here last week, you might remember that Darius is Darius the Mede. And he is the one that's overthrown Belshazzar at the end of chapter 5. It wasn't at the end of chapter 5. It's a historical moment. I get that. But in the Bible, it's at the end of chapter 5. And now we're now seeing our third regime change over the course of the book of Daniel. We've got 120 satraps. You might be wondering, what's a satrap? Well, a satrap is basically a provincial governor in ancient Persia. Just some people who help. It's like the local uh, council, that kind of idea. And then we've got these presidents, mayoral-type people, people of power who take over the local uh, councillors. These presidents are those that have been put over the satraps. And Daniel's been named one of three of those. Now, Daniel at this point is 80-plus years old. He's now serving his third regime. Darius saw something in Daniel that meant he was happy to have this 80-year-old man. We'd never do that in our culture, would we? That's, ret- that's over-retirement age. Right? Can I get a holler from all the older members of our congregation? (laughs) He's 80 plus years old. Darius sees something in him and says, no, you're one of my three. And ultimately, he wants to make him. This man from Judah, he's got nothing to do with the Median Empire. He wants him to become the man that oversees the kingdom. Someone once said, 
Christians should be so Daniel good that they cannot be ignored. Christians should be so Daniel good that they cannot be ignored. I quite like that. It's quite a challenge, isn't it? And when I read these characters, as I read these first three verses, it reminded me of some of those in the life of Jesus. Darius is kind of like a Pontius Pilate figure. Someone who has legal responsibility for a whole region. Yes, yes, he's a king. I get that. And, and Pilate only a governor. But let's not split hairs. Darius, like Pilate, is ultimately the man that can sign off on executions. The satraps are like the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious elite. They have authority and jurisdiction, but they have no answer. They have to answer to other people. The presidents. Who are these presidents in, in, in Jesus' story? Well, they're like the Herod and the high priest. People who have authority. And of course, Daniel here represents Jesus. One who had an excellent spirit in him. And we'll see more of that as we go on. So the characters, they take their place in this story. And the characters start to conspire against Daniel. We're in Daniel 6 verses 4 and 5 now. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a group, a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error was found in him. Or thought was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. The presidents and the satraps, they want to tear Daniel, Daniel down. They want to take him down. They don't like the favor he has found. They don't like the way he shows up their misgivings and their failures. They maybe dislike the fact that he's older and wiser than them. Or maybe that it's, he's an outsider. He's ageist. They're ageist. They're racist. Who else? What other ists they may be. This man from Judah, they say later on, pointing out that he's a foreigner, that he's an alien. Why would we listen to him? Jealousy sets in. Tukumbo Adiemo says, What started as jealousy turned into envy. Envy turned into racial Hatred, and hatred turned into a plot. This is horrendous for David, Daniel. And jealousy is horrendous, isn't it? It's horrible. You may well have faced people being jealous or envious of you for some reason, and it made, it, it made your life really difficult, made it really hard. But more likely, like me, Maybe you have been jealous. For me, it was, that, it was definitely the other, other way around. When I first met B, I used to get crippled by jealousy. Other people talking to her, wanting to spend all my time with her. It was crippling and almost ended our relationship before it even got going. I made life really difficult for B. And God did this massive work in me and my heart around jealousy. He had to. Jealousy does become envy, and it does start to breed hate and bitterness in us. We need to root it out. It's horrible. If you are living with jealousy or envy, it's not right. It's not from God. It is sinful. And we must repent. It is the tenth command, after all. 
I understand you may need to talk to someone about this. You, ask a life group leader to, to just to listen to you. Maybe it's someone in your three. Maybe you need to contact the pastoral care team at pastoral at readingfamilychurch.org.uk. Come and see me. We'll get someone to sit with you. But don't leave it festering. Jealousy is never good. Back to the story. The only way they can think to bring him down is to hold his religion against him. That's where we get to the end of verse 5. And this all happened to Jesus, didn't it? In Mark 14, 55, we read, Inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they couldn't find any. Just like they couldn't find it against Daniel. In Matthew 27, verse 18, Pilate is kind of we're trying to work through this conundrum. He's got all these people at his front door saying, we want Jesus killed. And it says of him that he, he knew that it was envy that had delivered Jesus up. It was the envy of the Pharisees, of the religious ruling elite. That's what Pilate saw. And of course, we know they eventually had to go with blasphemy, didn't they, as their call? which is something that's connected to his claim to be God, his faith, his understanding of who he was. And why did they have to do that? Because they could find no fault in Jesus. But they were plotting against him, just like the satraps. So we move on to read uh, verses 6 to 9. My poppy keeps falling off. I'm fully behind the poppy appeal, but I'm going to have to just put it down for now. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. I mean, that's quite a welcome, isn't it? O King Darius, live forever. We want someone to say that about us, don't we? Oh, Scott, just live forever. Oh, thank you. Flattery begins. Live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the, and the satraps, the councillors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the documents so that it cannot be changed according to the lords of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. The presidents uh, and the satraps are so clever here. They convince the king. In fact, they manipulate the king. That's what they're actually doing. They're manipulating him to sign a document that means he will have to execute his favorite Daniel. They flatter him. O king! They flatter him by inferring that it's, it's only him that people should make petition to, should bow to, should listen to. No other gods or men, just you, King Darius, the mighty Mede. And they do this knowing that daily, at least three times a day, Daniel will seek the living God. They're well aware of what Daniel does. So it's, they're manipulating the king. They appeal to Darius' ego. They want a document signed and an injunction brought in across the kingdom in order to catch out one man. To catch out one man. 
They abuse their power and manipulate the king. And it happens every day today. It, that happens even today, doesn't it? Maybe you've been on the end of a twisted account of something that you, that you have done. Where someone has tried to manipulate the truth for their own gain. Maybe you've lost face because someone has painted a distorted picture of the reality of a situation that you've been in. Really hurts, right? Feels unjust, feels really unfair. Or maybe you've done this. Maybe you've done this recently. Maybe you're not. Maybe you've been involved in manipulation. We are not called to, to manipulate situations to our advantage. And therefore, by definition, to the detriment of others. We are those who get to trust in our God and let Him be the one who has our backs. We don't have to manipulate things to look good for us. We have to trust that our God will raise us up at the right time. Friends, let's be those. If you are, know you've been manipulative recently, let's be those who stop it, who repent and trust in our God. Maybe it's in a relational issue, a, a job promotion, maybe even your tax return or something like that. Be wise, be clean, be pure before the Lord your God and let him raise you up. And we know that this plot that they had, we look forward into Jesus' life. The plot against Jesus was to catch Jesus out and was to find him guilty of blasphemy, then to go to Pilate and ultimately manipulate Pilate to agree to Christ's crucifixion by inciting a, riot, a riotous atmosphere, stirring up dissent. There was a clear plot to have Jesus executed. We move on to verses 10 and 13 to see what happens next. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house. We had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Do you remember his friends who refused to bow to a golden statue? Jesus, uh, Daniel refuses to bow to this injunction because his God is more important to him. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king! Here we go again. O king! Did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, should be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and says, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. I want us to observe first and foremost from verse 10 in this, in this place, we see a devotion of Daniel. The devotion of Daniel. Here we see him live out the very meaning of his name, God is my judge. He's so clear, isn't he? 
that even though his life is now in danger, even though he can see they are trying to tear him down, that they've plotted against him, he will not cease to worship his God and seek his counsel three times a day. He's not going to stop. Friends, don't we think we're doing well if we manage five minutes in the morning? Catching a little glimpse. In a, I've got it on my phone just before I flick over to BBC. I better read the Bible. I want to make sure I do that and maybe chuck up a prayer. We think we're doing well. And we live in a, in a nation that says we can worship our God. Three times a day, knowing it was a death sentence if he got caught. Even when Jesus knew that they were plotting against him, it didn't stop him, did it? It didn't stop Jesus. He challenged them. He kept going with the mission that he had been sent with. Even after his arrest, when he was asked if he was the Son of God, the Messiah, God's chosen one, the promised one, he doesn't deny it. He doesn't try to save himself, but he honors his Father in heaven. What else was he going to do? Daniel and Jesus will not compromise their faith because it might get hard. Will we, as we live in exile here in Reading, or wherever you might ever might be on the webcast? Verses 14 and 15. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed, and he set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, No, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. They want to be very clear. You can't change this. You might be trying to do all you can to rescue your friend, but you can't change it. It's done. Darius does do all he can to get Daniel off of the charges, but ultimately he has to agree to the execution because he has to. Pilate is the same. He tries to get around things by agreeing to a flogging, sending Jesus off to Herod, and then by offering Barabbas instead of Jesus. He even tried, he's trying to appeal to them. You don't have to kill this guy. He's done nothing wrong. But ultimately, he can't free Jesus. He has to execute him because he wants to avoid riot and being in trouble with those over him. Verses 16 to 18. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought. And it was laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Here we are at the execution moment. And the way of execution in the Median Empire was, seems to be being thrown into a den of lions. Darius seems to have some lions just hanging around. <laughs> Who knows why he's got a den of lions? Maybe it proved his powerfulness, his power, that he's able to gather up even the king of the beasts, the lions, and have them in a den for his own joy and pleasure. Maybe it is an execution technique. After all, the Romans used to do it, didn't they? Throw people into the Colosseum, Christians alike, that used to be like cheap 
fun entertainment to go and watch the Christians be thrown to the lions. Maybe it was just he had lions because that is what you do to execute people. We don't know, but we know that's now what Daniel is facing. This guy who has done nothing wrong. This one in whom they can find no fault. This one who only ever loved the Lord his God and worked with integrity. This 80 plus year old man who those he worked with were jealous of because he was promoted above them. This guy was thrown to the lions. He was put to the place of death. And this wasn't just to be his place of death, but effectively it's also his tomb. I guess if you're thrown to a den of lions, they're expecting you're going to get eaten. They're not going to bring anything back out and put you in any burial plot or anything like that. This is also to be his tomb. And I wonder that in the grand story, and the grand sweeping narrative of the Bible story, this is why they roll a stone across the mouth of the den and seal it with the king's seal. We know that that comes into Jesus' story, don't we? I just want you to notice something throughout all of this. Not once does Daniel try to vindicate himself. Not once. Even when he knew what had happened, he knew the conspiracy. He knew how, he was been, how they'd been manipulated and the whole thing had been turned against him. Not once did he try to vindicate himself. There's no mention of him giving his, his account, even though he's innocent. Not, not one, yeah, but. Not one, oh, I accept my part, but. Instead, he seems to trust God to vindicate him. Either this side of death or the other. In Pilate's time, the cross was the execution platform at his disposal. And that's where Jesus is sent. The guy who has done nothing wrong. This one in whom they can find no fault. The one who deigned to speak of a different way. The one who swam against the narrative of the prevailing culture. The foreigner. The exile. His execution, just like Daniel's, was one of finality. For sure, he needed a physical tomb to be buried in. But a stone was rolled across it. And there was a seal of soldiers put on the outside. It's done. He's dead. He's not coming out. And just like Daniel, Jesus didn't try to vindicate himself. He too trusted in his Father in heaven to vindicate him. Do we trust God to vindicate us? whether it be this side of death or the other. Everything to this point has been downward. But from here on in, we're going to see joy and we're going to see resurrection. Verse 18 through to 24. Then at break of day, then at break of day, the new day has dawned, 
The sun is up at break, at the break of day. The king arose and he went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Can you imagine how long that pause must have been for Darius? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever! My God sent his angel and he shut the lions' mouths and they've not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you. O king, I have done no harm. Can we just have a like, woo? Then the king was exceedingly glad. I love that. It's great. It's so posh. He was exceedingly glad. And commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And then comes this really horrible bit. And the king commanded, and those men who have maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children and their wives. We hate that bit, right? And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Take that in for a moment. God closed the mouths of the lions so that Daniel was unscathed. But as soon as the others were thrown in, it wasn't like those, those lions weren't hungry. It wasn't like those lions weren't ready to do some damage. It wasn't like just a, a freak accident that he wasn't actually... A, angels closed the mouths of lions. And when those other people were thrown in, those lions, they were hungry and they feasted. Darius goes early doors and he finds a resurrection moment. Daniel is alive and he is unharmed. Hallelujah. And the scripture says, so Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Trusted in his God to vindicate him and to raise him up. This moment reminds us of the moment of the break of dawn on that third day when Jesus is risen from the tomb, doesn't it? The Marys go down to the tomb and they're going to tend to his body. They're going with the spices, but they don't find a, a dead body in the land of the dead. They find the living in the land of the dead. There's a resurrection moment that they encounter at the break of day. At the break of day. Jesus is no longer dead, but God has raised him up. He has closed the mouth of the lion of death and raised his son from the dead by the power of his Holy Spirit. Hallelujah! Friends, this story is one of death and it's one of resurrection, but also of rescue. Of rescue. Darius tried all he could to rescue Daniel, didn't he? Likewise, Pilate with Jesus. They were extremely powerful people, but they couldn't rescue him. All the power in this world cannot rescue people from the pain, the suffering, or the spiritual distress we encounter. There are just things that power cannot 
sort out. Elon Musk, he can, he can use the best science and technology to get us into space and to have a, a, a design a best-selling electric car. But he can't help us when the lion who prowls around looking for Christians to devour, the devil comes against us. He has no power. Only Jesus has that power. The NHS can patch us up and can keep us alive, maybe longer than we thought ever possible. But, we, but it cannot save us in our moment of death. They cannot shut the mouth of that lion. It's only Jesus. Money can provide us, can't it, with so much stuff and opportunity. But it will not shut the mouth of the lion of dissatisfaction. We will always want more. The more we have, the more we want. Only God can deliver us from that lion. There are so many lions we face. And even some we are willing to put our heads into the mouths of. But God is the only one who delivers us from the lions. Darius saw this as Daniel was thrown into the den. May your God, whom you have served continually, deliver you. I know I can't do it. Only your God can do it. And it is his question when he comes to the den in the morning. Has your God, whom you serve continually, delivered you from the lions? Darius wants to know. Why? Because he's looking in. We've got people looking in on our lives and they say, well, you trust this God. But do you trust him to deliver you when things get hard? Well, I like the NHS and I like to have enough money in my bank. And I want to know my church is doing everything for me instead of me doing stuff for myself. People want to see us know that God vindicates us. And they want to ask us, has your God delivered you? So they too might be able to follow after him. It is our God who rescues, delivers, and saves. Can I get an amen in the room? It is our God who rescues, delivers, and saves. He has already rescued us from death, the devil, and from sin. He has rescued us from ourselves, from an eternity without him. What a joy! And what peace we get to know because of that. It is him who vindicates. It is him who raises us up. It is him who delivers us. The verses end today with a declaration made by Darius regarding the God of Israel. And I want us to stand this morning and I want us to declare this declaration. That's what you do with declarations, isn't it? You declare them. So can we stand together? We've got, we've, hopefully we're going to have time for one more song as we go through this. But, so if the band can come. And I know we're going to have our masks on. We can declare through masks as well, you know. God, God doesn't not hear us because of masks. I've gone off the stage again. I did that last time. So we're going to read just a bit of 26 and through to 27. It's not necessarily easy to see. I hope you can see it up on the screen. But we're going to declare this together. And I'm going to start us off and just go with a cadence. And, and we're declaring. We're not whispering. This isn't a moment to kind of think, well, I've just got to get into it from the outset. Okay, for he, for he, are you ready? For he, three, two, one, for he is the living God, enduring forever. 
His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big shout and let's sing to him now.